Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Uh, excited to be uh, here with everyone. Um, and just a reminder of our values as a church. Uh, these are the things that, and we talk about these every week. I know like it may sound like white noise at some point, um, but I do want you to uh, remember, these are the things that really undergird who we are. These are the unchanging things that we will always be about. Uh, and the one is the gospel. Like the gospel is the good news. It is, it is the reason that we live. Um, it is the reason that we are here. Um, G, uh, Paul said that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, uh, then we have no hope. But Jesus did raise from the dead, and that's why we have hope. That's why we believe the Bible is true. That's why we can believe every promise that God has given us in the Scriptures, and including those who trust Jesus will be made new in Him, will be made right with God. And so we, we trust in that. Secondly, community. We believe God created us for relationships, and uh, those relationships are best formed when centered around Jesus and his word. And so that's why we gather in community groups. And so speaking of in a couple of weeks, uh, we are going to uh, actually next week, uh, the starting Wednesday, the 13th, uh, we're going to get all of our uh, community groups together on Wednesday nights or something we're calling Wednesday night connect. Um, we're going to all gather together in one big zoom call, and then we will disperse into our community groups. And the reason we're doing that is just to create greater connection. We're a small church right now. And so we want to be able for, you know, one of the benefits of a small church is everybody gets to kind of see each other. Well, we don't get that right now because of stupid COVID. So uh, we're going to try to do our best to do that virtually to allow people to connect. And then lastly, missions. The good, the good news is too good to keep to ourselves. So we live lives that declare the good news of Jesus, um, that telling others about how they can find hope in him, as well as, de- as demonstrating the good news of Jesus, that our lives are informed by what Christ has done for us. And so therefore we love and serve our neighbors out of what Christ has done for us. Now this morning we're gonna um, we're gonna take kind of a one week look uh, before we jump into our next series. Which starting next week we're gonna unpack our vision and talk about what are kind of the marks of our vision, like how what are the 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 you know basically the the markers along the road that help us know whether we're fulfilling our vision uh, of every person from every culture experiencing the gospel. And, and so we're going to do that. But this week is kind of a prequel to that. So if you've ever uh, like watched the Star Wars movies, you know, there was episodes four, five and six. And then later on, they came up with the prequels. This is kind of the prequel to that. So we're going to talk about uh, kind of some foundational truth this morning that helps us understand what it looks like to press on uh, towards our vision. And so we're going to look at the idea of perseverance this morning. So what does it mean to persevere? What is perseverance? And so I want to give a very simple definition. Perseverance is to keep going when life gets hard, to keep going when life gets difficult. And in life, there are lots of ups and downs. This year, we've experienced lots of ups and downs and lots of unexpected uh, things that have come along over the last, um, last several months that have really left a lot of us wondering what is in store for us. We look toward 2021 with this hope that it's going to be better than 2020. But in all reality, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We still have you know, numbers are higher than they've, they've ever been in the pandemic. And so we're longing for a day when things are going to be better. We're going to persevere through that. Um, life is full of joys. It's full of sorrows. And so to get through life, it takes a certain level of toughness to get through this life. It takes a level of perseverance, a grit, um, a willingness to press through when things are hard. And it's no different with our faith in Jesus. Um, our goal as Christians is to have a faith that perseveres, a faith that makes it to 
the end. And so when we think about persevering in both life and in our faith, um, is, is the goal simply to just get through it by any means necessary? Is it just to gut it, gut it out, grit, grit our teeth, work harder, do more, try, be better people? Is that really what's going to get us from here and to the end with our faith intact? Or is there something deeper, something richer that God is trying to do in us to help us persevere? As Christians, we perseverance is about more than you just enduring life. We persevere in Jesus. We persevere through through our lives with a faith in the work of Christ for us that lasts until the very end and it sustains us. So that one day when we do stand before God, our dying hope is Jesus. It's what Jesus has done for us. Because when we wake up, when when our eyes close here on earth and we wake up, we will be in eternity with God if you've trusted Jesus. Christians persevere. Christians press through. Christians keep going when life gets hard because we have a solid foundation in Jesus. And we've seen this across the history of the Christian church. And probably the greatest picture of this um, really comes from the African-American church. The African-American church is the picture of, uh, of, of perseverance in the face of hardship. Or as Karen Ellis tells us, the, the African-American church teaches us and share with us how to persevere when justice remains elusive. When, when the world seems to be bent against them, they still persevere and thrive. And, and when you look at the history of the black church, which doesn't just start in America, and in fact, the black church history is church history, because if you go all the way back to Africa, some of the, the greatest church fathers um, were from Africa, the Ethiopian eunuch, which led to the Ethiopian Coptic church. Um, we see um, you know, thinkers like Athanasius and Augustine and Tertullian and Origen, who were all African, laid the foundation for Christianity itself in the early church. Um, but when we look at the history of the black church in America, it is a church that persevered. It's a church that was born out of the, the, the soil bed of slavery, uh, being given a perverted version of Christianity by white slave owners, but somehow persevered through that and persevered through slavery and, 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 and pushed through Jim Crow and in segregation and systemic injustice and came out the other side, this vibrant, strong, resilient church. And, and so much to the point that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German thinker, when he came to the United States, when he visited churches in Harlem, said that was the only true American church. I think there are other true American churches, but I think the clearest picture of what it means to persevere would be the black church. All of us as Christians are called to persevere. And I pray that as a church, a city on a hill, forest hill, we would persevere as a church founded in what God has done for us through the cross with an aim toward what he will do, that he is going to make all things new. And then what that does, when we remember what Christ has done and what he will do, it gives us a present faithfulness to press on. A present faithfulness that when life gets hard, we keep going. And so this morning, we're going to look at Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, Paul's words to Timothy teach us how to persevere in our faith when things get hard. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who was someone he had discipled. He had raised up as a leader in the church in Ephesus as their pastor. And so we're going to look at three principles of perseverance that aren't just for pastors. These are things for all of us. The first thing we're going to look at is the idea that perseverance is costly. Uh, perseverance costs you something, whether you're persevering through the hardships of life or in your faith, it is costly. And the first cost is pain. Perseverance is something that is costly. Uh, if we are going to gain what we see here in the scripture, it is going to cause 
pain in our lives. And we're going to have to press through. If you've ever worked out and you've been trying to get that last set in, you're trying, maybe you're doing the bench press and you're trying to press that weight, it can be painful there at the end. And so to press through and to persevere towards the goal, we are going to experience pain. In verse 10, Paul talks about some of the things that he faced. Um, His life involved pain. He had given his life for the sake of making Jesus known. So he's telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, you know my teaching, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You know my my holy conduct. You know that my aim is to make Jesus known among those who don't yet know him. You know my faith. You know my my patience, my, my loving example for God's people. You also know my steadfastness. And then he says, his sufferings and his persecutions. Paul knew suffering. He knew pain. He knew it in Antioch where he was rejected. He knew it in Iconium where he was betrayed or in Lystra where he was stoned. And he endured all of those things for the sake of the gospel. He endured all of those things for the sake of making Jesus known and knowing Jesus. But what Paul tells us is that it's not just limited to him. In verse 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not just pastors, not just apostles like Paul, not super Christians who seemingly have it all together. Anyone who has trusted Jesus, who desires to live the godly life that every Christian is called to live, will experience pain, will experience suffering. All of us. The type of life that we're called to live as a church is not easy. There's a sacrifice of time. You know, right now you could be doing something else. You could be watching the news or prepping for Sunday Sunday football. You could be doing anything else, but you're you're sacrificing your time to be here. You sacrifice your time to serve others, um, your energy to serve others. There's a sacrifice of money when we give. All of these things are sacrifices, but they're worth it because if you look at the end of verse 11. Paul said that through all of his persecutions, and then likewise for all of our persecutions, the Lord rescued me. Through all of these things, the Lord rescues us. There's a promise that our pain is not going to be forever. That God will rescue us. And that our suffering and our pain is worth it. In Romans chapter 8, Paul told the Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings, any suffering or pain that you face right now will pale in comparison to knowing Jesus when we can see him with clear eyes. So there's a cost of pain. There may also be a cost of people. Paul knew what it was to lose relationships. There's a relational cost to following Jesus. In chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about how everybody but Luke had left him. Everyone but Luke, his doctor, had left him for some reason. And so he's writing to Timothy, he's writing this letter, and he says, come see me. Paul's lonely. He's incredibly lonely. It was a three to four month trip for, for Paul, for Timothy to go see Paul. And he said, I want you to come see me. Now, some people left Paul for bad reasons. We see Demas, who says was in love with this present world. This is the only time Demas is mentioned. Some think that maybe Thessalonica, Thessalonica was, was his home. And so he deserted Paul in his work. And we're not sure of the reasons. He may have been swept up into the culture. It may have been fear. Maybe he was just homesick. But it said that he was in love with this present world. Believing in Jesus will put you at odds with other people. It will. Pe- people will reject you because you hold to the exclusivity of Christ. People will say that you're narrow-minded if you say that only Jesus is the way to heaven. 
that only Jesus can save, that only the cross is sufficient to pay for our sins. If you hold biblical beliefs that go counter to the world's opinion, Jesus said they hated him, they're going to hate us. Or as Thomas Leah says, Christians will suffer because the world is hostile to the kingdom of, the God, of God. When light invades, darkness can sometimes push back, but we have the promise that light always overcomes darkness. It doesn't always mean that you lose relationships, but sometimes things get weird. There's a relational cost to following Jesus. Sometimes uh, the reason is a good reason. It's a gospel reason that we lose relationships or relationships change. God always sends the best. That's the cost of doing missions. Paul sent, uh, he sent Crescens and Titus, sent Crescens to, to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. They, they went because of the gospel. Paul lost that face-to-face -face relationship. And some of you, many of you, are experiencing that right now. Matt and Sue, as they just came over to be a part of Coa Forest Hills several months ago, so, so, so many of you who came from City on a Hill, Brookline, to be a part of this new church plant, counting the cost of mission, left for a good reason. And it means that there's this tension between the affection we have for those we love and the, the, the biblical uh, mandate to multiply, to make more disciples and plant more churches. We love people dearly and we have to send them. This is the cost of making Jesus known. We, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks when we look at multiplication, but we want to be a church that plants churches, which means that some people are going to be sent to go help plant more churches. And we, can't, we count that cost, but that cost is worth it. Because when we send people, when we faithfully send others, it expands the family of God. New people need Jesus. New leaders get raised up and it builds our common joy. So there's a cost to this perseverance. It is costly. And if we're going to persevere towards the good goal, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, it takes a certain level of commitment. Second, the second principle of perseverance is that perseverance takes commitment. And it takes commitment to a couple of things. The first thing it takes commitment to is God's word. Uh, we believe God's word is good. And we commit ourselves to it. If we want to pers if you want to persevere in your faith, if you want to have a faith that gets you from this end of life to the to the to the other end, it's going to take submitting yourself to God's word. In verse 13 of chapter 3, it says that some have not persevered. Some did not persevere in the faith. Uh, evildoers, imposters, people who went from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What does that look like? Well, none of those people started out thinking, you know what, I'm going to make a shipwreck of my life. None of those people probably started out thinking, I'm going to believe things that don't accord with the scriptures. It says that they went from bad to worse, that they were deceiving and being deceived. Not only did they, did they start, stop believing in God's word over time, they slowly began to believe that what they were doing was right. It didn't work, it didn't uh, accord with God's word, and, and no longer did they even feel guilty about it. That's a big warning sign. If you begin to, if you, if you're living in a way or pursuing something that's ungodly and then you stop feeling guilt about it, that, that's, a, that's a big warning sign. We have to be committed to God's word. We have to be willing to come to the scriptures and let the scriptures change us. But what happens when we begin to deceive ourselves or we begin to take on the, the persona of an evil person or an imposter is we come to the scriptures and we say, I refuse to change. So therefore I'll change what the scriptures mean. It can't possibly mean that. It can't possibly be asking me to deny myself in that. And we begin to change what the scripture says. But Paul gives a warning here. He says, but in verse 14, but as for you, it's a very strong word, but as for you, continue. 
or abide, remain, stay rooted in what you've been taught, stay rooted in the word of God, what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. This is why you should study God's word. Look, when you study the Bible, it's not like there's some magical chart in the sky where God's putting gold stars like it's kindergarten. He's not doing that. He's not putting gold stars on the chart and saying, you know what? You know, Stephen read his Bible today, but he didn't read his Bible yesterday. So, you know what? I like him about half as much. It doesn't work like that. If, if, if you've trusted Jesus, you're accepted based on what Christ has done for you. That's it. Your, your standing before God does not change. But God's word is what God uses to help you both enjoy him, but also to prepare you for the struggles and the trials of life. To remind you of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of his justice, of his mercy. And what it does is it becomes an anchor. Eric Mason puts it this way. He says, if any of us are to persevere in the midst of pain, we must possess a deep theology of the unmoving character of God that is embedded in the depths of our heart soil. You need God's word to persevere. If you've not started uh, a Bible reading plan uh, for, for 2021, I invite you to do so. Uh, we have a discipleship plan. Um, we can make sure, I'll make sure at the end, I, I drop that in the chat. I didn't provide that to David to drop in. Um, but look, it, we're, we're three days into the year. If you didn't start or you started and it didn't start, you got day one and missed day two, that's okay. Just start today. We'd love to help you do that by just taking five minutes a day to read God's word. I'm telling you, it will make a massive, massive difference. So we got to be committed to God's word, but we don't want to forget who we learned it from or, or, or what you, sorry, what you learned first. Remember what you learned. Paul says here, remember, continue in what you have learned, specifically what we learned. It is not some sort of new novelty. It's not some sort of, uh, of, uh, of new pathway or, or you know, the next five steps to a better life. But, but root yourself in the sacred writings, Paul says. For, for Timothy, that was the Old Testament. See, what the scriptures do is they remind us of who Jesus is. They, they lead us to Jesus. They lead us to salvation in him. Because when we read the scriptures, we see a call to obedience. And if you're being honest, you see your inability to do it. Okay, so love your neighbor as yourself. How, how many of us have perfectly done that? You know, don't lie. How many of us can say that we've never lied? Uh, you know, don't don't covet. How many of us can say that we've not have you seen the, the big green monster pop up? Not the one in left field at Fenway, but the, the monster of jealousy. None of us can. We see our inability to do that, but and we also see our need for a savior. See, as you come to the scriptures again and again and again, what you see is that you still need Jesus. But what you also see is that you still have him, that he's not le- he's not left you, that he's with you until the very end. And he shows us how to get, live godly lives. That's why verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So this, God has given us his very word to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us for righteousness. That, in verse 17, the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, that God, his word is sufficient to see us through and sustain our life and sustain our faith. So remember what you learned, but also remember who you learned it from. This is super important. Paul had taught Timothy in verses 10 and 11. He wanted Timothy to remember what he had taught him, but not just Timothy. Verses 14 and 15, this is really, really incredible. And it's kind of tucked in there. You've got to kind of look for it. Um, But we see that he had learned this from childhood. 
uh, in church history, uh, Timothy had an incredible mother and an incredible grandmother. He had a mother named Eunice and a grandmother named Lois. Lois is like the most grandmotherly name ever. Like th- th- these are people who loved him. They took Timothy to synagogue every week. They taught him the scriptures and eventually it led him to Jesus. So that when Paul preached the gospel to Timothy, all those years in which God had been working in Timothy's life through the investment of his mother and his grandmother came to bear. And the joy of a godly mom has an incredible impact. I think about my own mom who for many years prayed for me and read me the Bible and all the years I was running and trying to get away from the church and get away from God, God pursued me. And I do fully believe this through the investment of my mom. She wasn't the one who led me to Jesus, but because she was faithful to give me the gospel over and over and over again, I believe God was working in me. And so, and so if you're a parent or you desire to be a parent, you have no greater responsibility than to give your kids the scriptures, to give your kids Jesus on a daily basis, that you are the primary disciple maker of your kids. And, and, and so don't buy into the lie that you, you need to let them decide for themselves or it's wrong to call your kids to obey, to obey God, because the Proverbs tell us that, uh, that if we train up a child in the way that they should go, even in their old age, he, the person, that child will not depart from it. And so what you're doing in a lot of ways is it's almost like you're taking dynamite like gospel dynamite and sticking it in the soul of your child. What you're doing is you're taking that and you're putting it in their heart and you're packing it full until one day the Holy Spirit lights the match and there's a fire that comes alive within them. So be faithful to this. So whether you're parenting or, or not, like the bottom line is that you need other people to help you persevere in your faith. Nobody is able to do this alone. This is why we do community because we need other people to stoke the fire of our faith. The second commitment is to God's work. We are committed to God's word as well as God's work. You look in verse one of chapter four, Paul charges Timothy in the presence of God, as well as Jesus, God, the son, and, 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 and also in God's power as judge over a kingdom. And he tells Timothy, he says, preach the word. And so you don't have to be a pastor to, to take on this charge. This is all of our charge. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a, pro, you're a proclaimer of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, someone who's seen their life changed by Jesus, who's been given the good news, you're called to give the good news, to co- proclaim how good God is. See, everything that follows after this flows from this command to preach the good news, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Verse two says that we're to do this work in season and out of season. Now, the way that you may have heard this typically um, interpreted before is that you need to be whether you're ready or not. So it means, you know, so whether you've had a good hair day or a bad hair day or you're in a good mood or a bad mood, you better be ready to tell people about Jesus. And so I used to think that, too. And in fact, I had a youth pastor who thought that very same thing. And what he would do to me, I'd come back from college and I'd visit our, our old youth group and what a pretty large youth group. And uh maybe about five minutes before he was supposed to go up and and teach, he would turn and he'd say, Hey, you're up tonight, which meant I had to go up with no preparation and make up some sort of sermon. And so I'd draw back on whatever I hoped I'd read my Bible that week and had something to do, something to teach on. So I I would do that. I'd go up there and I'd blubber out some words that were, you know, something closely related to the gospel. And, and, and so that's what people tend to think of when they think of this passage, but that's actually not what it means. 
Verses three and four give some context that it's, it's not so much whether you're ready to tell it or not, but you need to be ready whether you're ready or not. It's whether people are receptive or not. Whether people are receptive, keep preaching the word. Keep proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. Because some, some people will turn and not listen. Some people will go off looking for new ideas. Some people will be blown about by the, the opinions of, of, of modern culture. It, people may go, may go try to find a message that's more palatable, that doesn't ask them to change, because Jesus says the call to follow him is to deny yourself. Some will turn away from the truth. But as for us, verse 5 tells us, we are to endure, to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We have to persevere in the work. It can be, and it can be frustrating sometimes. If you've been sharing the gospel with a family member or a friend for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, be faithful. It, it, it's frustrating right now in the middle of COVID. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and church planner. I'm one, like... I'm extremely motivated. And so like to, to feel like sometimes you're spinning your wheels and having to change your plans is frustrating. But God has shown incredible fruit already, even, even in the midst of that in our church. And God's doing a work in us as much as he's doing a work through us. And as we do, as we persevere in the work that God has given us, we experience Jesus. We experience that this is a work that God's called us to that only he can get credit for. See, at the end, the end goal of why we persevere as the church is, is that we get more of Jesus, to more fully and deeply enjoy him together, not just in heaven, but here on earth. And so the cost of discipleship is worth it, and the commitment of, or the cost of perseverance is worth it, and the commitment of perseverance has an end goal, and it's reward. Perseverance will be rewarded. We persevere towards an end goal. Paul in chapter Four, verse six says that he's being poured out as a drink offering. It's coming to the end of his life. His time of departure has come. He said he's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. He has done an incredible work. He's been faithful to the Lord. And he's looking forward towards this goal, something laid up for him, something awaiting him, someone to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why could Paul, why would he go through all of this? Because he knows what lies on the other side is worth what he went through to get there. That what lied ahead was so much better. See, the call to perseverance is a call to come and delight in Jesus. Philippians 3, famous passage on Paul laying down everything for the sake of the gospel, says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Everything you could possibly give in this life, everything that you could possibly endure, every suffering that you might face is worth it because in the end, you get Jesus. Jesus is the one who sees you through as the author and perfecter of your faith. The greatest gift you get in the gospel is not just the forgiveness of your sins. 
It's not just the removal of guilt. It's not just the removal of shame. It's not that you don't have to be afraid anymore. It's at the end, you get Jesus. Face-to-face relationship with Jesus. This is good news for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can trust God that when you suffer, when you face trials, whether that's the trial of miscarriage, whether it's the trial of, of sickness, whether it's the trial of injustice, that God has been faithful to see you through and he will give you a deeper and greater joy in Jesus that begins now. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this can be yours. Right now, um, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've not trusted him to take away your sins, you're due the judgment of God because of your sin. But Jesus came and he died for your sins. He rose again. And if you trust Jesus today, your sins can be forgiven. And that's what Paul's talking about here, to receive that crown of righteousness is to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the hope that one day you'll spend eternity with him. Let us all be a church that perseveres until the end. Let's pray.